Welcome to Behind the Drop podcast.、Mm, that sounds good. Yeah. It feels good. Yeah, I'm, I was stressing about the name, but I think it's good. You, I've got to say, you have a name. That was all you as well. Like that, you, you, did, you did very well. You gave like 20 options. I, I was like, these are pretty bad. I can't lie. They were bad? And then、not、that all, one. Not all. Not, and then、bad. this one came. And I think Sinead was like, that sounds good. I was like, that does sound good. <laughs> That does sound good. Sometimes you have to get the bad ones out. No, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And no, no. I kind of liked it because I was just like, just talking fucking so much and no one to was, yourself. No one was replying. <laughs> just and I was、talking. like, I know it's bad. And I keep saying that it's bad, but like, no one replies to me. And I was like, no, it's fine. I'll get there. It's just because you were just letting off. And I was like, I can't deal with that at the moment because there's too much going on. But. It's a good name. We got here. And you're like, oh, because it makes sense because we're DJs behind no, the drop. No, no, don't. No, because that's really embarrassing. What? The double entendre. Or maybe triple. What's the third one? So, behind the drop. So, the reason why we're calling it behind the drop is because we're speaking about stories from, <laughs> from the music industry、yes. that are really like, interesting to us. Hopefully,、mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to the listeners. Yeah.、Um, So, yeah, and then drop is obviously a term. I think, I feel like there's a third. I can't remember what it is. Yeah. I think it, if it comes to me, if it comes to me. But no, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a good podcast. Maybe the best podcast ever invented. Well, here we go. Yeah. It's a podcast I would listen to, to be honest. When you said it, when you were like, I think we should do XYZ, I was like, yeah. I did all the heavy, heavy lifting for this podcast. You did. I can't lie. <laughs> Can't lie, you did. You went to Ghana for a month, <laughs> and I was like, okay, let me just like, think about the concept, the name. <laughs> And you smashed it. <laughs> There we go. You smashed it. No,、yeah. but yeah, no, I was thinking, like, what do I want to listen to? And it's like, I just want to hear all the tea and gossip. About relationship. About, no, no. <laughs> about being a millennial. Millennial.、Um, but yeah, no, it's good. Yeah, no. So, yeah, I mean, the way it's going to be, we're, we're each going to tell a story. It's a story time. It's story time. Yeah, and, and we've got two good stories. There's, lo- there's so many good stories, I guess, from the music industry. Yeah. Because the music industry is such a. Sometimes brilliant, sometimes terrible, sometimes just egotistical, just sometimes just fuck you over industry. That there's so many stories. I've got better stories, even for my career. You got stories? um I think mine's been quite like chill. Okay. But you're getting there. Maybe I've just blocked it all out. Block it all out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But so today, we've chosen two stories. We've chosen two stories. What's your story? My story is、um, about. The music mogul, Lou Pearlman.、Mm-hmm. He was the. I mean, I want to speak of him in. Basically, I wanted to say mastermind, but he was a prick, basically. He defrauded.、Mm-hmm. Well, he created Backstreet Boys and NSYNC and a lot of other、uh, like boy bands in the 90s and early 2000s. Well, he actually created them. I guess he created them. So he, it's incredible. But he. Defrauded them. <laughs> and then he also defrauded loads of people as well. And now he's dead. Okay. But his story, like the story of this is, is, crazy. is crazy. I feel like a lot throughout this podcast, I'm going to say, the game is the game. <laughs> I feel like even you saying that, I was like, the game is the game. The like, game is the game. I feel like that might be the phrase, the catchphrase, because yeah, it, it just happens. Well, I've chosen Ray. Yes. Big up Ray. Because that story is just, obviously, not to give up too much away, but it's just a very sick story that. Has so many, it's a story of triumph, really, you know, and but actually, her career is amazing. So it's just like, and obviously, with a public fallout from a Twitter tirade to being number one, it's like, it's like the ultimate comeback story. Yeah. It's very sick. And、so. it's very now, because yeah, mine,、yeah. mine's like 90s, early 2000s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which it still blows me away. Gen Z are like Backstreet Who? Don't. e n s i g h t Don't. e n s i g h t They don't know. They don't know. Oh my God. Ray might not know. No, come on. They were the biggest boy bands. Like, I'll, I'll tell you some stats, but Backstreet Boys is the biggest selling boy band of all time. Yeah. Who else? <laughs> What do you mean? <laughs> yeah, no, I don't know. Like, no, they are. They are. They are. They are. They are. Yeah. I'm trying to think. Well, Westlife. This guy feels like the,、uh, Louis, like, the, like the American Louis Tomlinson or something, because he made like Westlife and all those like boys and all them lot. And like One Direction or something. Tom- Louis Tomlinson, the guy from like X Factor, isn't it? No? Oh, Tomlinson. Isn't that anyway, the guy in One Direction? Oh, God, maybe I've got this completely wrong.、Oh、Louis. But Louis, the, the judge, is who I meant. But、yeah. Louis Tomlinson is in One Direction. You're right. I'm just, I'm just saying up random names. Louis Walsh. Louis Walsh. 
I thought you were supposed to know about music. This is a music I'd, podcast. That was bad. <laughs> Louis, I apologize. <laughs> I apologize. But say, the same show, so yeah, I yeah. get it. Just, uh, it was just, yeah, it was just yeah. quite mixed up. But also, me. like, the music industry is just so different now from back then. Oh, yeah, completely. Like, some of the record sales is insane. And so just to even, yeah, like, the, the numbers that I'll tell you about later are just, you couldn't even imagine mm. those sale numbers now I, I, even like the games changed so much because I, I was thinking well, I'll, I'll get to it as well like when ray first came out to, to now she came out then she might not have had the same she came out now yeah. she might not have had to like sign this crazy deal because she might have been able to do it independent like the way like central c and all these amazing like top top artists are, are independent she might have yeah she came out now she might have never gone through this but i think it probably made her a better person so should we I don't want yeah, to yeah. give too much away, so I, I, mean, I feel like yeah, we should, I mean, we should get into this. I excited, because I obviously saw the whole thing blow up on Twitter, Yeah, but I didn't, like, I think I, it was, when did, I mean, you'll get into it, but mm-hmm. yeah, I didn't look too much into exactly what happened. Okay, so, ah, let's go. <laughs> story is, a story of Ray's career. So, I think it's such a, it's such an interesting story. I think people should study it, whether you're an artist wanting to get signed, whether you're, maybe you're already signed, I think definitely from the label boss's side and A&R's as well, I think there's lo- loads of lessons that can be learned and ultimately a lot of inspiration can be taken from it. I think it's a success story. Um, it's a story of artistry, dedication, experimentation, longevity and triumph. Uh, so I think we should start with who Ray is. Okay. Facts don't lie. <laughs> Numbers do not lie and credits do not lie. She is one of the most successful UK artists and songwriters of the last decade. Over on, on, just on Spotify, she's over, listed on over a hundred songs in the last eight years. So it's from two thousand and fourteen. Writing, yeah, all that's into that's on writing and on an artist. That's a hundred and ten, I think it is. That's over ten a year. For, oh no, not over ten years because she started in two thousand and fourteen. So that's when did she come out? I think two thousand and fourteen. That's but it. as a 15-year-old, 16-year-old, she wasn't actually doing number anything until... So the work rate, first of all, is crazy. That's a fact. She's one, literally one of the most successful out of the last decade. There's other kind of um, songwriters doing, doing big things, but her work rate is crazy. So yeah, since 2014, over 100 songs, billions of streams, multiple billions of streams, uh, written for the likes of Beyonce, John Legend, Little Mix, Eddie Goulding, and that's not even to mention the tracks she's featured on, which is... Multiple, multiple platinum hits. So wow. the likes of David Guetta, Jax Jones, Disclosure, Rudimental, Joel Corey and DJ Regard. It's basically like an endless list. Mm. Um, but she's kind of famous for publicly falling out with the label last year. And she's reached new heights this year, going number one with her single Escapism and her debut album hit number two in the charts and just missed out That's on number so- one. Just it would be a great year. Yeah, like, no one album yeah. for, for my for our story, race story, you know? <laughs> For this podcast. Yeah, it would have been better. So but her, that was, album was her first album after like eight years in the industry. Eighteen months after she left the label in that infamous kind of Twitter tirade or basically like public breakdown, you know, yeah. kind of what we saw. It's her debut album, isn't it's a it? Debut album. That's cr- like yeah. that's mental. A lot of she's EPs. been around for ages. Yeah. A lot of EPs along the way, but this is the first like this is my album. Um, but I think to understand how we kind of get to that point, we and to mainly understand Ray as a person, as an artist, we got we got to go back to the backstory. So she's born in Suiting, which is basically my adopted home. So big up St George's <laughs> Hospital and gang and all that. Uh, and she was raised in Croydon, South London. She's mixed race. She's got a Ghanaian Swiss mother and an English father. Uh, her parents met at church, and he was the director of the musical director of a church, and her mother was singing in the choir. So I think those two things already you got. Well, musical family Very and also musical. faith as well. Yeah, uh, I think she she she, she mentions how uh, religious she religious she is, um, and she went to the prestigious Brit school, which obviously the alumni of that include like Amy Winehouse, Adele, KEB, Jesse J. It's just like uh, have you heard of Brit school? I, I, yeah, in yeah, my yeah. head, it's like Glee, like yeah. this, like UK <laughs> Glee. They always roll around acting. Do you have to audition? Like, what happens? You got to be good. I don't know. I think there's definitely have to be some. You can't. We I can't just go to Brit school. I think you I have don't to know, be. Maybe you could. Maybe I could, but I think, I think you'd have to do some kind of like test, or you have to be very good in your field, yeah. which is mainly music. What uh, ages do you do you go? It's kind of like a uh, secondary school. So I think it's like year seven to. I'm not sure if they have a sixth form. Yeah, I think they have a sixth form as well. So, yeah, but she left after two years. I think mainly because she started getting major labour interest. I think she was there from like fourteen to sixteen. Mm. 
Um, and she was discovered in the music industry after writing a song. I think she wrote this song when she was 14. I think it maybe came out when she was 15, around those those ages. But it was called Hotbox. And basically, this, the track is just her going to a house party, getting fucked up and writing about it. Which I actually think is quite mad because that's basically what she did eight years later and got number one. Yeah. I went on a night out. I got fucked up. I write about it. Number one. Wow. That's what she did on her first song that like kind of like got her noticed. As That's well. such a nice like. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. When I, when I listen to it, and I, don't, I don't know. Listen, I don't want to people, tell people to stop. But if if you listen, if you listen to this on internet, stop the podcast just for a sec. Google the song. It's not on Spotify. Because just listen to it. It's impressive. Like it's very clear why she got signed. No fourteen-year-old should be first of all writing about getting smoking weed, <laughs> and two writing that well. Like it's right. a very, very uh, good song. It's very clear kind of why she got signed. It's maybe R and B as well. So I think that that R and B is at her core, core yeah. and that's kind of like come back to it full circle. I actually remember being played this track myself. I don't think it was when it first came out, maybe a year on, because we were at a publishing meeting and they're like, oh, we've got this really exciting girl. She's 16, so she's legal. I was like, Rand- I always what? remember it because she said that bar. And I was like, Wait, was Randon. that a man? Was it? No, at least it was a female. Oh my God, no. <laughs> but it was such a joke, but it always stuck in my mind. And she's like, yeah, you'd be great for a session with her. That session session never happened, but I always remember that. So, Why is that? Why is that a thing? <laughs> she was like, I, I think in her head, I, I don't know. I think she just turned 16 and... I think maybe legal might have also Ew. meant like signing legal as well. You've got to be 16 to be able to sign things and maybe she signed a deal. 18? I don't know. But like to sign a contract, I'm guessing. I, anyway, I don't know. What song, but I always remember, me and my brother looked at each other like, okay. Why? <laughs> so I always remembered her from that, right. from that moment. Because I was like, I checked out that song. And I was like, this song is sick. Let's get a session with her. Didn't happen. Right. Um, so, and she says, it reminds me of a little bit of um, that track, Hotbox, that Let's See a Karma track here, which kind of blew up and was about a house party. It kind of reminds me of that. I was thinking, if Ray was American, her career might have gone a different way. Because I feel like... Also, if she if she came out now with that song, she maybe wouldn't have needed to sign this this big kind of like deal mm. she had. Like we, we see a lot of artists kind of blowing up and doing independent. And then back in 2014 vibes you still kind of needed a, a label to, to go yeah. there wasn't as many independent artists so it'd be interesting to see if she would have um, if she came out now or what it'd been but that wasn't the case so she signed a four album deal to Polydor and now that's quite a big deal four albums because what that means four albums they see you as well one very clearly talented see you as a they're pirate. locking you they're down they're locking you down Probably spending quite big money because to get the four albums, it'll be structured in like a certain way for first album, second album, but there'll be some big money involved. And they see you as a person who can sell a lot of records because otherwise they wouldn't be locking you down for that for that amount of time. Um, so that's when that's what she kind of like came into. And I think something also just is important to note, just in the general background of the UK industry, is that the UK labels aren't haven't got the best track record of working black female artists. Like if we go back for decades, and I mean like. 30, 40 years ago, there's only a handful. I think Sade, Misha Paris, possibly, uh, Charlotte Ammer, Gabrielle, uh, Miss Dynamite, Jamelia. Like, you know, yeah. you're struggling. And I'm, that's 30, that's 40 like years. That's like one hand. Yeah, yeah, that's one hand and you're, you're going back decades. Jeez. So don't have a, the greatest track record of, 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 of what, what, what I'd say. But apparently she came into it with an 11 track album ready. She said like she was, she was ready to go. That's crazy. But I know, like, I know how the labels, they're never, they're never going to be like, yeah, go. Because yeah. one, lab, albums cost a lot of money. She probably signed a deal where it's like, oh, first album, you get this much money. Second album, you get... Da, 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 yeah, da. Yeah. So she's like, they're like, no, just calm down. Um, and what they do, and, and they should do, is that labels often, they say, oh, yeah, you got that. That's great. But maybe go work with X, Y, Z. See if we can get something better. You know, all these, all these kind of things. So she said that she had an 11-track album ready. She did release, in the first two years of being signed, she did release two EPs. I don't know if those, that album was split into two or those were new tracks, but um, the first one was in 2014. It's uh, called Welcome to the Winter EP. And if you listen to it now, listen to it before I came, and it was, it's kind of like a, a miniature version of her current, her, her latest album, 21st Century Blues. There's, it's very emotional-led. It's very raw. Um, uh, yeah, very emotional just talking about love, heartbreak and, and, and loads of teenager kind of type things. But it, and it did relatively well. It did okay. Um, but it wasn't I always like, find it funny when teenagers like that yeah. <laughs> feel like they were in love. But yeah. I'm trying to remember when I was that age. No, but it felt so real yeah, at that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I remember like, your first heartbreak, you feel that more than, I think you get better at heartbreak and all these things as you go on. But I don't think so. Do you not think? I, my first heartbreak was, that's the one that like killed me. The rest are like, oh, whatever. Not whatever. Oh my God, that's so classic Men. man. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like the one that hurts you the most and for the rest of your life, you're yeah. scarred. Changed everything. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but, but they're very raw, very, and then they had like Avelino was on there. So she's like working with the right. rappers and it was quite, it's quite cool. I think that not all of it is on Spotify, but a lot of it is on there. And that was released through the, um, through the label. And then 2016, she released I, You, Us. And that one was a little bit more experimental in its sounds. Young Fred again on a lot of production, which is quite interesting mm. He's, his career is crazy but that's for another podcast um, a young Stormzy is on there and again there's some brilliant moments of songwriting like, like wow this girl is very talented but again there's no hits there and I actually don't think the label even pushed for hits it didn't sound like the label were like we need to come I think that was if you listen to those two EPs that's I feel like that's kind of where she was you know she was experimenting with a few sounds but it's kind of like still feels very Ray um I guess the the change came in 2016 after that release and I think she says it as well she has a quote saying um, when I was 17 I had an 11 track R&B album in the bag but when I put pen to paper for my record contract all of a sudden it was like okay we need you to learn how to make music that sells Um, she she was sent to Sweden to study the maths of songwriting and really applied herself but I think there's hard work a constant is the the work ethic for her. So she really applied herself. And she said, I got good at writing those big, um, wormy hooks that just stick in your head. And she got really good at it. 2016, I think the track that changed it all kind of came. And it's a, probably a gift and a curse. It's a, You Don't Know Me with Jax Jones. Mm. Mm, nah, nah, eh. yeah, yeah. Big rhythm. So like sitting on half a billion streams, multi-platinum. Wow. And then like basically over the years, from that track... 2016, up, right up until her latest kind of dance feature, which I think is a Disclosure record. She, Ray becomes a cheat code. Like, yeah. you put Ray on a dance record, it's selling. It's selling. David Guetta, Joel Corey, you're mental, regard. This, like they, that became the cheat code. And the thing is, at this point, I feel like that's not a bad way to launch your career. A lot of artists have done that where they've featured on big records, then gone on to have uh, successful careers, uh, KEB and Jesse Ware uh, off the top of my head. Um, I'm not even Ray, but like, I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> can you tell? But it just feels suffocating to know that you're releasing all these hits, you've done EPs, yeah. and you have four albums to mm-hmm. go. Like, that's. Oh, I, the thing is with Ray, I don't even think it, yeah, four albums to go to get off, but just, just one. Just give me one. But this, is, but this is where the issue comes, I think, because, okay, so you, you're Ray, you're. Original material has done okay. It's nice, like, yeah, this does potential, but hasn't sold. Then the label have seen, wow, this, we put her with these dance tracks. She mm. is going off. But the thing is, they're not her tracks. Yeah. You know, you, you might hear that and be like, oh, that's cool. That's catchy. But it's ja- oh, Jax Jones with mm. the He's touring the world. It's not, you're not like, right, oh, I want to go see Ray because of these songs. But they are making a lot of money. And that's the thing. Sometimes they're making money for other labels. They're not make, <gasps> make, maybe even making money for, for, for oh, the label. Yeah. It might be for you know, Jack Jones label or wherever yeah. it is. And I, and I don't know. I think some of them were, were on Polydor, but some definitely weren't. I'm going to show sound and things. So, um, yeah. So I think it's uh, interesting with that. So you, what you've got is that they don't know, labels traditionally don't really know how to market that female artists, R&B artists. They, they don't really know what they're doing with that. Um, you've got these dance records popping off. And then another thing, which I think is very important, is in 2016, her the person who signed her, the head of a label, left the label. Oh, no. So when, then what you've got is all those things happening, but the person who signed you really believes in you, really gets you, understands long process, all these things, they're gone. So now you're just kind of a little bit lost with someone like who cares about you but doesn't, they might just, they don't care personally yeah. about your career. And that happens so much within the industries, even happens to myself where you've been signed, your A&R gets fired, you're stuck to a label who, where no one knows who, who you are, you basically get either dropped. But she's not going to get dropped because she's making yeah. a lot of money. So I think that's where we are so it's important to um to 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 know to know because and it's important to look at ray's solo releases so after 2016's you don't know her next track was called the line doesn't really sound i can't remember it i, I can't look it up. remember it you know but it's a very big change it was from those kind of like experimental r&b kind of heartfelt things it was like just like oh we're going to a club type music okay, yeah. uh, and the beat again was more like a dance type beat again produced by Fred again um, actually there's one other thing before I get into that she said when she said her label uh, her label uh, guy left he said in 2019 
at Christmas time, the, the new head of label said, because uh, her, her, her own music's not making money. So she says, she's like, uh, it's like you're 6-0 down at half time. She <laughs> said is, that to her? Yeah. Uh, and she said, okay, noted. I'm going to figure out how to bring that back. And she did because she gave the label a hit like with a regards, which is like a you know secrets track, which no, again, a dance track, but it got in terms of money, because they're putting probably a lot of money into her, all these things I are not it, working. Yeah. So but imagine oh saying my that. God, what a thing to say. But she brought it back to six six, so well done, Ray. Wow. But then yeah, so let's look at her. So that's the uh, so Ray is a songwriter, her pen game untouched. You need a hit, you go to Ray. Dance hit, bang, bang, bang. She's killing it. But her, let's look at her own like actual Ray releases. So um, 2017, we had The Lion. 2018, we had a mixtape called Side Tape. And that was, if you can remember 2018, Visions. Uh, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> it's like Afro oh, Bashment was kind of yeah. ruling. Oh Kojo Fans. Like, yeah. It's that kind of vibe. You might have remember her track with uh, Kojo Fans. Uh, yeah. Check. So it was those kind of vibes which were popular. So that's what she kind mm. of got put into. You be the R and B Afro Bashment E type yeah. girl. Now that's yeah. that's you. So she had Decline on there, which was that. I was there in your car. That just taken that. And so basically, what she did was took those catchy dance melodies and just kind of put them onto like those kind of beats. And it and it kind of worked. There was like another track called Confidence, which I actually really love. Confidence was it had a video where she was dancing around. I was like, yo, this girl's sick. Mm, uh, had one. Cigarette with Mabel and Stefan mm, Dunn, who yeah. I guess were like the three golden girls. Yeah, yeah. Or, oh that. my God, that era. Yeah. So that was, that's where she was. And, you know, Decline, uh, number 15 in the charts. It's, it's, it's platinum. It's a hit. Like, you know, it's, but it's, you don't remember it, remember it, but it's, it's a hit. It's, it, it commercially did really well. Um, so that's, yeah, and then 2020, fast forwarding, what you get is this uh, euphoric dance songs. And uh, it was a long EP, nine tracks, so it could have kind of been an album. And Just one more song. Yeah, one more song, yeah, that's probably why. <laughs> and I, oh! I'm not joking, it might be why, because what it is, is albums, the album budgets are, one, you've got to give your, the artist, it's probably in their contract, like, when you get your album, once we say go on your album, here's, I'm making this up, a hundred grand. Yeah. But then it's like the cost of all the producers and uh, the budgets, the album budgets to EP budgets are completely different. Mm. So that's probably maybe why, because if you look through all of Ray's old interviews, it's like, oh, is this album? She's like, I think I, I, I want to do an album. I want to do an album. I think I've deserved it. Like this oh, is a running theme. I think I've deserved it to make an album. It's quite sad to listen back. To, and she's like, oh, I'm not sure how it will be packaged. And that's literally the label being like, oh I'm not God. sure. But so she she led into this one with like a track called "Love Me Again" in 2019, and for me this 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 EP it was like a blend of the artist that Ray wants to be, which is like raw, emotional, vulnerable, and the dance artist that the label kind of Made wanted to be, be yeah. and slash makes money. I think there's a uh, a review from the Guardian and it says the almost masochistic, what's that word? Masochist. How do I say that? Hey, the levels of vulnerability, honesty, and intimacy on hit, on show here allow Ray to trans- transcend her usual pipes for higher role. Yet the sound itself feels far less distinctive and personal. A frequently generic dance pop that is well rendered and consistently pleasant, if not particularly compelling. She eventually goes on to say, for Ray to really distinguish herself as a thrilling solo proposition, the music of euphoric sad songs could do with taking inspiration from the arrestingly messy intensity of its emotional core. And that is Rachel... Arrow Etsy from the Guardian Review, and that is a, in hindsight, an amazing review. Yeah, because what you've done when she actually did that is yeah, when she kind of found like the success, and it's kind of said like you know you can tell what's kind of happened here because it's like oh I've got these songs, these are the songs oh, I wrote. She's got shivers, and they're like, Fuck. yeah, that's a great song. So four by four beat. Oh my god! <laughs> and I think uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I think I read this somewhere, and um, <laughs> apparently it was called something like Heartfelt Songs times four by four at the one point which is literally kind of the album so that's what you what you what you're hearing and there was even like um i was going through her discography on on spotify and there's like love me again and love me again a remix and i was listening to it and i was like it's produced by guilty beats and i'm like i bet this is just basically the song she wanted to put out but there's just like okay have it but we'll put out a random remix and call it a remix later on as you so you can see these kind of like cracks starting to show yeah um and, and, and again it didn't Success now that tune had that EP. Success is is always relative. I feel those numbers are kind of crazy on the EP. There's loads of like twenty million plus streams. Like it did well, but it didn't chart in the top forty. That's the thing. And the, what you have is Ray is 
all his other tracks are charting. So the label were like, oh, she's not charting, you know, you're not charting, you know. So in, in their sense, it could have been a failure, even though the numbers are very solid and like the potential is there, the songwriting is immaculate. Like you can't, but it, it, for them, it was a failure, even though I think it's like a great stepping stone. Right. Like a, it leads into an album. Yeah. 100%. Um, but that's the backdrop. So if, you, if we take where we are at, we're at now we've got this EP where it's like yeah your artist project kind of works but doesn't these tracks really work and I think this thing about having to prove herself because I think the label are waiting you get one song that does as well as these other songs yeah we'll give you the album but until then it's just not really working out is it it's just like but again it's it's, it's just as relative so like she says that you know there's another artist who got signed and just came onto the scene and they released an album straight away. She was like, what Why? do I yeah. have to do? And I think she was a victim of her own success in a way because the label, what they want is like top tens, top five. So when you're in that position... And you your deliver. Art, we'll go. But it has to, 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 to be... So fast forward to 2021. It must be quite a strange year for her because it starts the year with her biggest ever hit. It's called... With David Guetta and Joel Corey. It's called Bed. It went number three in the charts. It's like triple, four times, yeah. times platinum. But it's like... The lyrics are like, I've got a bed, but I'd rather be in yours tonight or something like that. It's not what we got just heard. <laughs> you hear it, you know it. Yeah, you might not yeah, know it's yeah. Ray, but it's a hit. Yeah, She's yeah. on there, number three mature. So like, cool. Crazy. Then she puts, puts out a single, Call On Me, which is again, it's like dancey, but 80s. Yeah. And for me, it just, I remember watching it. I think I was in the studio and, we put, and it came on. And I was like, it's weird with Ray, isn't it? Because like, she's so sick, but like, it doesn't make Why? sense. It doesn't make yeah. sense. So you, if you look at the correlation between those those four EPs, what I've just said, from those first two, which I find she's 16, 18 year old. But once she starts getting into it, you know, you've gone from like the kind of R&B to Afro bashment to dancey thing. And now this is kind of like an 80s slash whatever. It's just like, it's a bit confusing. Yeah. Um, and I always think that with labels, if you can come to them with a track record, like this works, this is my identity. This is what I want to do you get people who buy into it, then great. But if you haven't got that team and that team left and you you haven't got complete, like, I want to do this because she's obviously she was 18 at the 17 at the time, they'll just take you where they want to take you. I, it's kind of happened to me when I look at some reasons. I'm like, why did I put that track out? I was like, well, the label just wanted this commercial house dance track. Like, it, it, okay, it happens. Right. And it happens not even, like, it's so subtle that you don't realise it's happening. Because it's, it's so far, like, send you send the label with some songs and they're like yeah, that one's alright but this one that one's better so you're like you, you, so the song could be amazing right, yeah, but they yeah. just don't pick it yeah. or they're like yeah maybe we send it to XYZ because that sound if we add that sound on it it's just like and then slowly you've, you've kind of gone from what you've sent here to something completely different and you're like yeah it's cool but it's completely different from what you actually wanted But it, it's like know. too many cooks exactly everyone's got to do their job and everyone's opinion everyone's got an opinion music is subjective and yeah you just people have got a job to do. So if they can add something that is in there, oh, go with Fred again, or go with, not Fred yeah. again, he's smashed, he's been working from the start, but go with that producer, they've got the source at the moment, or whatever it is. So, yeah, so that is where we get to. And I think, so Call of Me has just dropped, and now we're in 2021, and now the breaking point happens. Shit goes down. And I think we're going to, so that's where we're at. So she's maybe, had enough. She's had, so at this point, if you're Ray, you've done every genre under the sun <laughs> you're one of the biggest selling artists like songwriters yeah. of like the last 10 years yeah you're you want that track yeah I'll do that yeah I'll do that yeah I'll do that yeah I'll do that I've done 100 songs and smashed it every time smashing it numbers are high and then like ah, just it's not working is it just, uh, not sure not, not, we're not sure so that's where she's at she must be mentally and physically uh, drained and yeah. which I think and then with that track Call On Me they're like if this if this one goes well we'll do the album so now she's like Please do what, like it's so much pressure on one yeah, song, and on again, something you can't really control. Something you can't control, and again, you might not even like. They chose it. <laughs> they chose it, not you. Yeah. You're not like, but oh, you're I'm being pun- She's being punished for it. Exactly. So that that's that's that is where we are. Ah! <laughs> Annie feels her pain. It's so terrible. frustrating. So then we get to the breaking point, uh, and it was in June two thousand and twenty-one. So I read out the tweets. Hey, my dears. So for the last seven days, I've woken up crying my eyes out, not wanting to get out of bed and feeling so alone. These are emotions we usually hide from social media and I've become such an expert at hiding my tears and my pain and I want to talk about it today. Uh, Holding inside and pretending I am 100% fabulous will only hurt more. So here it is. Today, I feel like a toilet. I'm going to be brave and talk about it. You are not alone. We can talk about our worries and our tears. It's not embarrassing to come out. It is brave. Hashtag cool of me, which is, I think, a single. Uh, And then that's, 
with a screenshot of her crying her eyes out in a, in a mask. So it's like, oh shit, like it's about it's 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 just it's, she's just yeah. no holds back. And then she kind of explains the story. So imagine this pain. I've been signed to a major label since 2014. I've had albums on albums of music sat in folders collecting dust. Songs I am now giving away to A-list artists because I'm still awaiting confirmation that I am good enough to release an album. For context, in order for an album to be created, the label has to release money for the songs to be finished, fees for producers, mixes, masters and marketing support, etc. I've waited seven years for this day and I'm still waiting. So now I'm being told if Call of Me does well, I can do my album but there can't be a green light until XYZ. Imagine the pressure of me waking up every day, frantically looking at the numbers and stats, hoping that I can just make my bloody first album. I know this kind of thing is supposed to, I'm supposed to keep behind closed doors, but I've worked and waited and hustled and given everything I have. I am not going to suffer. I am not going to do it in silence anymore. I have been on a four album record deal since 2014 and haven't been allowed to put out one album. All I care about is the music. I'm sick of being slept on and I'm sick of being in pain about it. This is not the business. This is not business to me. This is so personal. I've done everything they asked for. I switched genres. I worked seven days a week. Ask anyone in the music game. They know. I'm done being a polite pop star. I want to make my album now. Please, that is all I want. Sometimes we don't speak out of we don't speak out of fear. We stay silent. I'm really glad I spoke out today. Regardless of the consequences tomorrow, today you have made me feel heard. God, I remember that. I remember reading that. And you know, and she was Im- immediately backed up by likes of like Ray Black and Emanike. Again, artists who've probably felt that same thing in terms of when Emanike's again written so many countless dance hits, and he can't get his music to the way where he wants it. Ray Black won the BBC Poll Award a couple of years ago, and you know, and didn't release anything. I mean, she's, she's her struggles with the music industry are well known as well. But that is just it's heartbreaking. Is is what it is because you can. S- even just reading those back out now, you can tell the emotion. Like it, it means so much to her. Like I think it's all what she said is all I care about is the music, and you know you can tell that like, from when she's fourteen, just writing those songs. This the music is so important to her, and like yeah. But a month later, it worked. <laughs> <laughs> Tweets a month later, Polydor and I have spoken, and we've agreed to part ways. I want to say a big genuine thank you to the Polydor team and all the individuals who fought for me, believed in me and worked so hard for me across the years. Polydor are an incredible infrastructure powerhouse team. Unfortunately, we had different goals artistically and I'm very grateful to them for giving me a smooth, graceful, smooth exit to start my next chapter as an artist. So elegant. So elegant. Wow. And so that's a happy story. And then again, I was like, yeah, great, cool, cool, cool. Now, what next? And I think she, I think she takes a few months off and she does. And then she comes back in 2022 and starts it off with Waterfall Disclosure, which is, for me, a perfect garage record. It's like, <laughs> it's so good. I wish I made that record. It's so <laughs> good. Uh, and then she starts dropping singles. So the first one is called Money Calling. And the first thing you notice is that you take the lyrics from this track to what she was rapping about with, say, with Bed last year. It's much more raw. It's much more honesty. Actually, no, back, Money, Money Calling was a, a feature. And it first, it, well, it starts, I rolled my spliff on the sunrise, half past six in all black Louis V drip. And I was like, <laughs> okay, well, she's just back to how she yeah, was yeah. back in the day. Yeah. Uh, see, I'm good at this pop star shit. Just because I smile like this doesn't mean I, I can't take your bitch. <laughs> but she's on, on that one. That's like, a, it's like with um, the beat, beat freaks. It's all like rappers. She's yeah, kind of yeah. rapping on it. And I was just like, that's a, okay, that's a statement yeah, yeah. that I'm not yeah. I'm back yeah, yeah kind of thing and then Hard Out Here was her first single and lyrically and musically it's different polished but raw at the same time and it directly references that the label CEOs he goes, uh, she goes after years and f- years and fears and smiling through my tears all I ask of you is, o- is open your ears because the truth ain't pretty my dear it's been dark it's been hard out so that's kind of you know oh, it says, then she goes on to say all the white men CEOs fuck your privilege oh Get your pink chubby hands off my mouth. Fuck what you think this is. I told my li- my lawyer stand by. War. There's no wrath like a woman scorned. Like she's Ooh. on. She comes back on smoke. I love that. She comes back on smoke. So that track is hard out here. I'm like, and the, uh, the production, I'm like, yo, she's going in. Then Black Mascara came out. And that was, if I'm going to say one thing about that all that experience and all the dance stuff, it's this track because it's she would not have, I don't think she would have released this track or made this song if she didn't go through those experiences it's called Black Mascara so it's like dance tracks but it's darker it's like it's like oh you like Dance Ray 
I'm st- I can still do that, but let me do it in my own way. Yeah. The, the production from Punctual is is great, and it's like it's called Black Mascara. The tears running down, but it's still a dance beat. I think it's amazing. Um, and then Escapism was released on the 12th of October, and I actually just checked on my phone because like I remember hearing it when like, it came out. I did. I, I, I heard it on the 14th on, the, on my release radar, and all I said in the, in the group was "sick track from Ray." <laughs> <laughs> but I probably never ever said. Oh, right. listen, yo! Yeah, to my yeah, brother, yeah. Man, you need to go listen to this Ray track. Yeah, yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? I was like, yeah. you need to listen to this track. That the, when I heard that the the songwriting on that song is like it's flawless. It's like elite. When you like you've mastered the game, mm. that track is just mastery in one. And I'm so glad it's got number one. Because when I heard it, I didn't think it'd actually go number one. I was just like, she's killed it. Yeah, because it's pretty dangerous. It's talking about getting fucked up. Talking, sniffing cocaine with the off the back seat. Fuck these bitches. <laughs> what, what? The line. I'm already acting like a dick, so you might as well stick it in. Oh like, my god! She's going off. Like it's, it's 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 just like it's mastery. It is mastery. I feel. And the beat as well. Mike Sabbath take a bow. It's got hypnotic sample. We have got breakdown going off. And I think I was like, I think it did its thing for a couple of months. Obviously, she's always going to get numbers. But then TikTok got it and. Mm. everyone was putting their kind of like night out kind of videos or or stories of like breakups and stuff to it as well and it just went absolutely crazy and then it went I mean it's been happening a lot on TikTok but speeding up sounds we sped that track up it just went mental and then yeah and then a couple months later it just grows and grows and grows and then you get that number one and you get her crying and the interview I don't know if if I'll add it in here if we can but when she's crying it's like these are happy tears it's just like you a lot finally we literally had you last year crying sad tears and then 18 months later shit man crying happy tears and the validation because if you all that time that seven years been told you're not good enough for an album you're not good enough for this you're not good enough for whatever you get a few looks in and then your like third single as an independent artist goes number one number one like everyone loves it like yeah the validation you you I, it's gonna be hard for her to top that moment because what that is just the best feeling it must be and then obviously with the debut album it's what just went number two the, it's much more critically acclaimed than the um previous ep it's like ray this is a story like if we're at the, we are like you we've gone here great girl 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 no done and we're at the top so it's just like i i, I wonder where the story goes from here because what yeah how can, how is she gonna top this it's crazy wow and i think that it takes so much strength to like keep believing in yourself like mm, for that long that long it's a long time wow it's a long 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 time yeah Big up Rado, because that story, like I say, a lot of people can take so much from that. She can take so much from that, take so strength and pride. But yeah, up and coming artists, labels. Yeah, that's it. Well done, Adam. Thank you. That's our first story done. I think we went over time. That was this uh, yeah, we went over time on that one. But uh, yeah, you know. Oh is what God. it is. Oh god. Wow, yeah. that's so inspiring, honestly. Yeah, big up Ray. Okay. Are you re- Do you know anything about Lou Pearlman? Do you I've even ne- know what he looks like? I'm going to guess white and old. <laughs> oh my I'm, God, how did you know? I'm going to guess those per- if you, when, when, when that Ray lyric comes up, whereas you white CEO, yeah. that, that person of my picture when she says that That's lyric Lou Perlman. is Lou Perlman. Yeah. yeah. Okay, well, I'm really excited to hear, um, to tell you about this story because if you don't know it, it's just like, it's wild. Mm-hmm. Um, so Louis J. Perlman was born June 19th, 1954. He was an American record producer and manager, born in Queens in New York. He was very successful um, music mogul, pioneering pop boy bands in the 1990s, most reputably the Backstreet Boys and NSYNC. Mm. He was the only child of parents, uh, High Perlman, who ran a dry cleaning business, and Rini Perlman, a school lunch room aide. So he grew up with humble beginnings. Um, he was... Uh, Quite random, but he was also the first cousin of musician Art Garfunkel, of Simon and Garfunkel. Really? (laughs) Yeah. That's very random. Um, And it's believed that Garfunkel's fame and wealth um, helped inspire uh, Perlman's own interest in the music industry. Mm -hmm. Um, But growing up, he was really focused on making money. And also really randomly, he was really into blimps. What's blimps? Blimps, like, you know, the big, like, balloon. uh, Yeah, 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 yeah. What do you mean into? How, he, was, he had a strong interest in blimps, but like, what does that even it's mean? It's relevant. What do you mean? He has an interest in blimps. He's into it. 
What, he goes to see... Okay, fine. So, I'll, like, I'll him and his childhood friend would, like, watch blimps and stuff. Okay, fine. Yeah. Good. <laughs> but the, <laughs> the interest in blimps and aviation led him to writing a business plan during his first year of uni at Queen's College based on the idea of a helicopter taxi service in New York, which, like, exists now. It's like Uber yeah, helicopters. Yeah, you, you can get stuff. Uber... Uh, someone told me you can get Uber helicopter in New York. Like, how much does to, that even go to go for? to the Hamptons and stuff. Also, it's scary. I feel like helico- helicopters are, like, the most dangerous. Well, well I guess there's a lot of high-profile... Well, I mean, I mean we're, we're massively diverting, but cars are officially the most dangerous. There's more car deaths. Yeah, but because there are more cars. More, more, more cars, yeah. I'm not sure. It'd be interesting and, like, pedestrian, like you have other obstacles and stuff. Drunk pedestrians walking around. Well, no, just, like, more shit to hit. <laughs> yeah, true. true anyway, it's a bit dark. Um... So, yeah, so he had this idea of a helicopter taxi service. He launched this business in the 70s based on this plan, and he had persuaded a German businessman to train him on blimps and airships in Germany. Um, once he returned back to the States, he and his childhood friend, Alan Gross, then formed Airship Enterprises Limited, which leased um, blimps, and they leased one to Jordache, which is a jean company. I don't know if you're aware of them, but they were quite big in North America. Um, so they leased this blimp uh, for a promo event. Um, he sold it to Jordache as like a blimp that's top of the line, but he actually got one that was really old. Mm. So it was, yeah, it was just not in good shape. He allegedly painted, it was allegedly painted with $50,000 worth of gold. So it was like a gold blimp with like Jordache on it. It's just like a metaphor for how he took these boys and then like made them into oh. glossy... Stars. Uh well the boys weren't old. <laughs> and, um but yeah, so painted gold, whatever, and then it crashed. Mm. Um but Ooh. Alan Gross, his childhood friend, believed that he did this to actually file a false insurance claim of three million dollars, which he actually ended up getting. Which was kind of like hold on. He, so he created the business. He did fucked He up. and his friend created this business leasing blimps and then they just got like an old fucking blimp and then it cost three million pounds and, and then it crashed but i guess i don't know how insurance works but like yeah so he got three and this is in like like the 80s i think 70s or 80s so the three got, million the, maf- the mafia's got to be involved in here in this in the 80s in new york and insurance scams but it's just like fucking blimp anyway <laughs> <laughs> like do blimps even exist now but anyway so he was awarded three million dollars and feeling like he had been betrayed to and lied to alan his childhood friend left the company so Perlman takes his insurance money and moves to orlando florida in the 19 early 1990s on the advice of a friend, Perlman started a new company, Airship International Limited, where he leased blimps out <laughs> again <laughs> to clients, including SeaWorld, MetLife, McDonald's for advertising. So he's he's hit like huge companies. Yeah. Apparently Blimps was like really yeah. like a big deal. But uh, then he started another venture called Transcontinental Airlines. So he's like really into the names of like Continental Airline Airship. Um, along alongside this, he was also selling stock options and retirement accounts in Transcontinental Airlines, which mm-hmm. we'll talk. I'll get into a bit more later. He made his money through the aviation business, and then started outfitting luxury je- uh, luxury jets, and then leasing them out to rock stars, um, which is how he kind of crossed paths with the music industry again. Um, so Perlman famously got fascinated with the success of New Kids on the Block um, after they chartered one of his jets. And he had questioned, like, how are these kids affording these fucking planes? Like, these <laughs> private kids jets. on the Block, they're fucking stickers. But I, I guess he just didn't know. And yeah. then he found out that New Kids on the Block were making $200 million in record sales and $800 million in touring and merchandising. Oof. These numbers are... That that's can't have not, all gone, yeah, that, that doesn't exist now. No, that's also think how much if it like, even even if it was it would be worth like think how much that's I, worth. That's eight hundred million. That's in the nineties. That's like double. I can't. Oh my god! But uh, so when he found this out, he famously said, "I'm in the wrong business." <laughs> Fair fucking. I think we're all in the wrong business. Now we're in the wrong business. Now we're in the wrong business. I know. In the nineties, <laughs> we would have been fucking sick, but. So he started Transcontinental Records, 
um, with the intent of mimicking this boy band business model. So you can kind of see a theme of like leasing stuff, like yeah. kind of taking something and selling it. Mm-hmm. Um, this uh, they soon uh, manufactured the record label's first band, the Backstreet Boys, which consisted of five unknown at the time performers selected by Pearlman by running open auditions for a vocal harmony duop group. I think that's so sweet. But fair play to do this though. I'm gonna yeah. open. Up I mean, a just thing. now, uh, up until this part of the story, I think okay, it's genius. But mm. then, yeah. Um, so he found Nick Carter, AJ McLean, Howie McDoro, uh, through auditions and then discovered Kevin Richardson. You don't have no idea who these people are, do you? Well, well no, oh, I, yeah, I, yeah. I know about you, boys. Yeah, yeah, but what? like uh, the names you... Nick is the blonde one. Yeah. Uh, I think what, the other lead singer, I can't quite remember his name. Brian. Brian. So anyway, the Kevin's the tall, dark, dark... Mm-hmm haired one um kevin rich they he discovered kevin richardson at disney world where he was playing aladdin that's amazing <laughs> and then kevin's cousin was brian luttrell who was like the other i think he was maybe the strongest vocal lead mm-hmm. but yeah so and then the management duties for backstreet boys was assigned to the former new kids on the block manager johnny wright and his wife donna they created this boot camp. So they provided tutors, choreographers, vocal lessons, and rehearsed about six to eight hours a day in a warehouse. Um, and that's where they learned to sing and dance without losing their breath. Um, and so by this point, Perlman was funding mm-hmm. all of this. Um, in 1997, Backstreet Boys blew up with the release of uh, Quit Playing Games With My Heart. Quit playing games with my heart. My heart. Yeah, yeah. Fucking tune. The song sold two million copies in the US and became the most successful single on the Billboard Hot 100 chart that year. The Backstreet Boys became ultimately the best selling boy band of all time with record sales of 130 million units, hitting gold, platinum, and diamond in 45 countries. I don't even. Okay, like. Their run was mad. Oh, God. While this was happening, Perlman was using the exact same method um, to develop the Backstreet Boys, and he developed NSYNC, which uh, consisted of Justin Timberlake, Chris Kirkpatrick, JC Chazé, Joey Fatone, and Lance Bass. Do you know who they... You know, um, more so. Roughly, like obviously, Justin. you know Justin. Yeah. Yeah, and, the, and the other ones, I think one of them was on Channel 4, Murray Comedian Show, and I was like, is that the guy from oh. NSYNC? Yeah. Um, so just quickly, do you know yeah. the, the dates... So like obviously Backstreet Boys. So that was so 1997. Backstreet Boys like blew up. Gone. So and then so start? during this time, he's developing NSYNC. Got ya. Uh, and uh, Lou Pearlman was actually uh, he was actually encouraging and created this rivalry between the two bands while he was. I can't remember there being a rivalry. I thought I thought it was a. There bit, was a massive one. But wasn't I thought it was a little bit more. Well, I thought it was a little bit like Backstreet Boys and then NSYNC. Like I because NSYNC in my head right. Girlfriend, like the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that's uh, like more current. I don't, do you know what I mean? I don't know, but yeah, but I mean, yeah. maybe Backstreet Boys' success was a bit over. I don't know. I'm not sure, but maybe it was more towards teenage girls because yeah. I definitely you was definitely. a Backstreet Boys girl. <laughs> I was like, fucking sync. Like, who are these guys? This guy has like ramen hair. Like, what the hell? Uh, so Backstreet Boys famously turned out one Disney special, uh, a live performance, and asked a smaller group and sync swooped in there and well I mean they were managed by the same people so mm-hmm. um, they took it and then that ended up being their big break and they started going from 5,000 sales um, record sales to 50 to 60 in like weekly mm-hmm. and the rivalry and being pitted against each other the two bands saw this as like a huge conflict of interest like clearly with as they shared the same management and they were both like but I guess maybe it might have helped. Well, it definitely probably helped them sync. If you're like, if this right. artist is really completely like, kind of like and when, you're being compared, yeah, like yeah. Bugsy and Chip. That's <laughs> 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 like, you know what I mean. You just like keep yeah. mixing in the circles, and then like you're both kind of in the mm. limelight. But I guess if you're an artist and you, yeah. you want to do well, then you're like, why is my manager yeah. anyway? So Backstreet Boys were really pissed off about NSYNC blowing up because mm-hmm. they like they said no to this one gig. Anyway. Um, some crazy facts for you. Baxter Boys sold 1.13 million albums in the first week of album sales for Millennium, which was their third album. NSYNC sold 2.4 million albums in the first week in album sales for No Strings Attached, which was their third album. 
Oh, so NSYNC's second album? Oh, but, uh, the third album. Yeah. No, both were third album. Okay. But I just remember, like, because I had both albums, obviously. I didn't... Millennium was kind of like... Backstreet Boys like had decline? hit their. I don't think it was like a decline, but they were like the they were mature and like it was they'd hit their kind of like peak maybe, mm-hmm. and then NSYNC was kind of still on that rise. Yeah, yeah. If I remember that time correctly, but question then yeah. if if you know it, uh, when like I don't know when Backstreet Boys' second album came out, which I'm guessing is more popular. What was their first week sales? You know? Oh no, I don't know. I just want to see if it like because surely right, surely like, Backstreet Boys sold not. more than. Well, they sold more, like, overall. Okay, yeah. Um, But within the three years into their success, NSYNC had sold over 10 million albums, um, but were only given $35 a day as per diem. And, you know, if anyone listening is not familiar with per diems, it's an allowance you get for, like, food or travel, like, during... Why are you frowning at me? Because thirty-five dollars is crazy. Oh right, yeah. No, that's like twenty. So why are you frowning? I was just like, <laughs> why are you frowning? I was like, what? No, no, you just explained it up. I'm just yeah. trying to. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> crazy. So after not receiving, and this is three years in, and they're sold ten million albums, and they're getting thirty-five dollars a day. It should be in Rolls Royces and like. <laughs> oh, but I think they thought like, oh, like we're traveling here for free, quote unquote. So after not receiving money for years, they're three years in. They have made, they have sold over 10 million albums and they're getting $35 a day. Like, you can't even buy a meal for that anyway. It's fucking crazy. Um, so, yeah, so after not receiving any money for years, well into their success, Perlman organized the fancy dinner in LA because he had always had these like family dinners where he would be like, they would arrange like a massive table and like invite like the band members and their families and stuff. So he did this for NSYNC and their family uh, for a check reveal where he was giving them all a check. So just remember, they have not made any money. They have checks on the table. They open, how much How much do you think they got? Wait, hold on. So you say, how many years? But, the three years in. No, they must have been made. You can't, they can't have been living off 35 a day and that's it. They must have been per team. But I guess they were just working. But they must have but been they making were, money though. Like getting paid. I, they, or, they were even saying, because... One of my sources is is this documentary, excuse me, and like Lance Bass was saying like, we just kind of were working all the time and like, we were just like going to gig, like, you didn't have to spend money because everything was your schedule. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, So he thought like everything was like free and really like you're paying for all of that. But the only money they got was the $35. But guess how much they got in the checks? (sighs) Three years. Three years. I mean, you should... I think this would be low if I was saying a hundred grand each, because a year each. So no, 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 this is like for the whole time. So they got a check, like you so were being paid this. If you're, if you're getting mugged off, I still think you'd be getting like three hundred grand each. So they open their envelopes, mm. ten thousand dollars. <laughs> ten thousand. Ten thousand dollars for three years' work. Yeah. They've sold 10 million albums at Why this point. Why did he think that would be a good thing to like go up and say, hey. Like, let's do this huge fancy yeah. dinner. Anyway, it's, you yeah. You need to add a few zeros. Yeah, yeah, like you're missing. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they were obviously so shocked after this, um, which then made them go through their contracts. And once they had a lawyer look over it, the lawyer had actually said, this is one of the worst contracts I've ever seen in the music industry. Uh, so when both so both Backstreet Boys and NSYNC were going through their contracts now, and it was found out that Lou Pearlman was making himself the sixth member of the group. So legally, he was like, because he like created and manufactured these groups, he made himself the sixth member, and he sold this idea as a good idea to the members, um, saying that you don't have to pay management fees, um, and like all those costs would be. Like, it was better for them if he was a sixth member rather than being, like, a manager, manager. and stuff. Um, Which I guess he could sell, because if there's five of them and you're meant to take 20%, well, maybe maybe even six, and it divides in. Possibly. I guess percentage-wise, like, one-sixth is mm. less than 20%. Mm. But then he's also recouping all these costs and everything. Mm. So everything, all the travel and everything like that. Um, and then... Yeah, so he's made himself legally a sixth member of both these groups. So he'd been stealing, like, a lot of money from them. Um, so the bands decided to file lawsuits. 
<laughs> NSYNC sued to get out of the contract, which was ironclad, but there was one clause in it saying that Transcontinental had to sign them to an American label within a certain amount of time or the contract was void. And they had actually signed to a German label. So once they sued, Perlman sued them, saying that he was NSYNC, he owned the name, and then the lawsuit became a $150 million lawsuit. But um, the judge actually sided with NSYNC, um, and they got out of the contract. And once they were free, they wrote their third album, No Strings Attached. And then Backstreet Boys, their lawsuit went a bit differently. Uh, they actually just put money aside for Lou for one like one sixth, and then once it was over, they like just cut in the check and like they were out. So that was a bad deal. I I don't know. It depends what you want, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but in the two thousands, Lou Pearlman created Innocence, which was a first his first girl group, and Britney Spears was actually briefly a member of it, but she went solo. Um, he also created Latin-based band Sino, Tate Five, LFO, O-Town, and he also O-Town. managed Aaron Carter, who is Nick Carter's younger brother, who sold five million albums before he was ten years old. What the fuck? From what song? I, I, remember, I, do, I do remember him being a yeah. star, though. Yeah, 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 but I mean, he's he's dead now. He's dead. He's died. From what? I think he's he's been abusing drugs and stuff for years, oh, but God, it's really sad, actually, his whole life i think um so can we just 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 recap it do you know numbers or like i guess it's not never gonna be completely out there like how much was he making we i'll kind of get into how much he defrauded and stuff but i'm jumping a gun (laughs) he also created making the band which is a reality tv show um following uh like unknown people and then creating bands um so even after all this publicity about him defrauding Backstreet Boys and NSYNC, fans were still going on these shows and signing really shit contracts. Um, I guess but the thing is, with it, is it's like, well, he's going to make me a star. He made this guy exactly. a star. My man was... And there's an Literally. argument you had that my man was playing Aladdin. So even... Right. <laughs> but I mean, when you're just a young person trying to make it, then mm. I guess like... Any opportunity is better than no opportunity. Exactly. But um, there were also a lot of rumors about uncomfortable situations across some band members from different groups about Perlman's inappropriate behavior. And that Perlman would say things like, I minored in physical therapy so I can rub your muscles as an excuse to give massages to band members and stuff. And he also had a tanning bed in his house and allegedly he would film the female band members getting in the tanning bed and then would show them to the male members and stuff. Like, it just sounds like a really pathetic man who just wants to, like, fit in and be part of groups, but disgusting. Um, So by 2003 in Orlando, he had expanded into... He had expanded Transcontinental into a hundred different businesses, so it became a global entity. And he also purchased an internet talent agency called Options Talent. And that company was already under investigation for fraudulent activities in Florida. So he doesn't give a fuck. Um, So this company was deceiving people about modeling, approaching people and setting them up with like photographers and getting them to pay for that. Like, you know, there's like modeling scams and stuff. But no charges were filed because a new attorney general, Charlie Chris, came into the picture and he was actually a beneficiary of Lou Perlman's like he basically bought to not be investigated. Mm -hmm. And then he uh, the Charlie Chris guy became congressman anyway. So three years later, in 2006, investigators discovered Perlman had penetrated. perpetrated the longest running Ponzi scheme in in American history and had defrauded investors out of more than a billion dollars. Wait, 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 say what? He he did what? He, so, I'll kind of explain this. So, out of, um, so for more than 20 years, Perlman had enticed individuals and banks to invest in this parent company, Transcontinental, Transcontinental Airlines incorporated Transcon Records and both companies' parent, Transcontinental International Incorporated. And all three companies were basically only existed on paper until the band started making money. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, uh, yeah, so after the success of NSYNC and Backstreet Boys, he turned the groups and their fame into 
like use like weaponizing that to basically further expand this Ponzi scheme of getting investors and stuff like that. Um, so he lured investors using the boy bands and a lot of them were like retirees. So they had like given all their like life savings and stuff um, to invest in his other businesses, which was all under the corporation named Transcontinental. He launched an investigate investment scheme that he called an employment investment savings account and set up a network of salespeople to actually sell these products. And he would send like a private jet to pick them up and then like a private limousine to pick them up from the airport and then bring them to the office. And then they would give them a card of like all the all the companies he owns. So it's like really impressive. Right. And then they would take them to like the studio and they would see like Backstreet Boys and NSYNC like rehearsing or recording. So it's like you you're just so blown away by everything. Um, Where are we now? So uh, Jay um, Perlman's attorney for the Backstreet Boys case actually ended up suing Perlman. Um, his name was Jay Cheney Mason um, because Perlman wasn't going to pay. And when he sued them, when he sued Perlman, he was awarded $16.5 million. And following this, Perlman set up a wire, tra- wire transfer from a bank in Munich to pay, but the bank didn't exist. Um, so in the course of this lawsuit, he indicated that he had little or no funds. However, Perlman's income was like totally traceable as he had used his income to get more loans from banks. Um, so he was also involved, like he was involved in bank fraud around $250 million. And this, then he- this is wild. Cause it's not even a music story. This is like, but like he's using the, that as a sell. Yeah. So it's like a front to everything. Because you'd think you'd have enough money from that. But, like, so much of, like, kind of what I was watching and reading is that everyone's like, he was brilliant. Like, if he had just done and paid, like, if he just paid people Mm. or if he just, like, didn't cheat people, like, he would have been, he was successful. Mm. But he just decided that it wasn't enough and he just had to get more and more and just cheat more people for more money. Like, what's the point? You must have been on top of the world, yeah. and yet you still didn't feel... People are fucked, honestly. It's madness. But anyway, so the FBI got involved, began investigating him. He he fled the country. They finally found him in Bali, arrested him, took him back to Orlando in July 2007. He pled guilty to two conspiracies, one relating to his investment fraud scheme, a conspiracy to commit mail fraud and wire fraud, a second conspiracy relating to bank fraud scheme, and also to money laundering and committing bankruptcy fraud while he was on the run. He was sentenced to 25 years and was ordered to also pay $310 million in restitution and to pay $200 million forfeiture judgment. The judge also told Perlman that... um, if he, for every million that he returned to his victims, he would get a month shaved off his prison sentence. But apparently, Lou just wanted to create a reality TV show in jail. <laughs> and he started a Christmas choir inside the prison and he held auditions for that. So this man is just like tapped. Like, he's he's not a normal human being. He, everything is an opportunity. Which, like, how I, can you do a reality TV? You're in jail. It's like, yes, yeah, so I want to get some cameras but, in here. Like, yeah, but apparently, a talent developer actually went to visit him and to talk about this anyway. America is just like a different world. <laughs> um, so what was it? Yeah. In 2008, Perlman began his prison sentence with a projected release date of March 24th to 2029, which is actually only six years from now. Mm-hmm. Um, but Perlman ultimately died while he was in custody in Miami. And in uh, the 19th of August, 2016, he died from cardiac arrest. He was 62 years old. That's crazy because that is not where I expected this story right. to go. Right, but it's fucked, right? It's just like I need to know what they they think. About, like what the backstreet, what like? Yeah, are they okay? Okay, just <laughs> Justin's okay. Justin's good, I think. But if you think about it, like being fucked over that, like they must have quite a lot of trauma because they were so yeah. young when they all started. Also, but you said that, or at least, and well, you said. You alluded that Backstreet Boys deal wasn't as bad. So they must have been getting paid something. And at least Zinc had that third album where it's like, cool, this is us. Yeah. And you said it was two million sales or whatever it is. So it's like, In first yeah. week. Yeah. So they'll be, they'll be fine at least financially. Yeah. But wow. Yeah. It's so important. I mean, I guess, 
you, sorry, are you finished? Said, yeah, I'm talking. Yeah, yeah, but like, and then he became, he like rose up from death. <laughs> because in a way, if you think about it, it could have gone very different for Ray. Yeah. Because they were like, okay, one month, do you know what? It's not working. Go do your thing. Quite. They yeah. could have been like, fuck you. Yeah. Four albums. Get right. Oh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So but, it, they, but they had quite a lot of social media kind of pressure, I think. Oh, yeah. I mean, it would, yeah. it, it would, it would have been bad if it didn't. But I'm just saying legally they could, mm. you know? Um, yeah, I, I, I think I think labels are getting better because they're just realising that, you know, if you, if you don't, if you, yeah, if you did that, it'd be horrible. But like, why are you trying to destroy a human being? Yeah, that because that one's just crazy. He just didn't give a. He, just, he didn't yeah. give a fuck. He's a sociopath. But very obviously, very impressive because he's just doing it multiple times. I going mean, to like, this one, the work rate. I can't lie. It's like I just didn't think we're gonna get to you say billions or two hundred fifty million bank. I just didn't think we we're gonna get there because yeah, yeah, I'd have thought if you'd made enough money off these guys, you're good, isn't it? Why are we gonna go there? But it's also kind Greed. of it kind of shows you like. People are so easily convinced when they have that like veil of like celebrity and yeah. fame and success mm. that you would just kind of invest. Like all these poor people like invested because they were like, mm, he's Bashu Boys. And Bashu Boys. Like, oh, well, yeah, of, course of course it's dirty. Like they wouldn't be involved with someone who's stealing money. But yeah, they, they don't know. It's just like, okay, whatever. And it? it's like, like they yeah. put their name to it. Two, hey. good, two good stories. Yeah. First podcast is a wrap. <laughs> Thanks for listening and follow us on stuff. <laughs> the drop behind the behind drop, the drop oh. pod. 